Do you have an inquisitive mind? Where do you go for answers? Imagine if the natural world held an answer to every question. Welcome to the Flowerhood Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Frankpitt. I'm on an orchard growing avocados and there's something going on. The more time I spend in nature, the more I learn about myself. Is it possible that until we connect with nature, we never truly flourish in our relationships, community, businesses or health? Oh boy, this is no ordinary gardening podcast. Join me at my kitchen table for wide and varied conversations with old and new friends from around the world. I'll be asking questions on how they connect with nature, what the research shows us, and look for ways we can incorporate these learnings into our lives. Let's get started. Greetings to you, my friend. I'm here, sitting at my kitchen table with my cup of coffee, and I'm looking out the window at my vegetable garden and a sky that's tinged with pink. It's dawn, and there's basically no chance of a sleep-in here on the orchard, because firstly I have this little kitten called Braveheart, who at about 5am likes to kind of swat me with his paw on my eyes. And the other day, I did keep on sleeping, well, attempting to, pretending to, had my eyes shut, and he bit my earlobe, which makes me think he may be a reincarnated policeman. Now, the other reason is the dawn chorus, because I have a lot of bird life on the orchard, so it's a shame to miss that joyful start of the day. You have me solo this week on the podcast, no guest. But I am really looking forward to sharing what's becoming an obsession for me, and it's trees. So a couple of weeks ago, I took a trip up to Hanmer Springs, and it's a small resort town, probably about um, an hour and a quarter drive north of Christchurch in the South Island of New Zealand. Surrounded by mountains with dustings of snow, and before you get to the town, you cross the Waiau River that cuts through a really rugged gorge. It's spectacular. Hanma has the alpine village feel that you get worldwide. Whether it's one of those small towns up in the Rockies or a little alpine village in France or Italy or Switzerland... One of its biggest attractors is the thermal pools and spa, which is right in the middle of town and definitely one of the reasons that I decided to spend some days there. And I was really lucky to rent a room across the road. I decided that I wanted to be in walking distance because it's the middle of winter here, August, and I was thinking I didn't want to contend with snow and ice after a really good hot soak. I shouldn't have worried about that as the town was clear and the days were sunny but cool. So next door to the pool is the old Queen Mary Hospital and it was a hospital for returned servicemen after World War II. It offered treatment for psychological and nervous conditions. So I was wandering around the grounds and peering through the windows of these sort of derelict wooden buildings. It has this strange airiness to it, and I wouldn't exactly say it's spooky, but you feel that 
there's a sadness around it. And there's still the hospital beds, those really old metal ones in some of the rooms. And the grounds are maintained. They're very, very beautiful. And they have these incredible mature specimen trees. Now, I did find myself imagining how these young men must have felt shell-shocked, exposed to these atrocities on the other side of the world, and then returning back to New Zealand with this green, clear mountain air and these steaming hot springs. And must have felt pretty surreal. And I really hope that they found this kind of peace in Hanma. I hope that they found the trees were healing and those mineral waters soothed their nerves. Really hard to think about that, you know, when you think of these young men in their 20s going off to war. So my trip to Hamna consisted of a couple of nights and every day I took myself off on a long walk. So there's plenty of trails up through the forest and they're really well signposted and the tracks are organised into separate ones for mountain bike trails which are all graded and then there's also tracks for walkers. So what really got me thinking walking in isolation was how amazingly good you feel when you're surrounded by these trees and this mountain air. You know, there's a kind of an energetic vibration. And there's also this feeling of vastness, of um, clarity in the air. And there's a feeling of balance. And it's really hard to feel dissatisfied with life when you're surrounded by so much natural beauty. So I was kind of walking along and looking up and thinking about the way each tree copes with the conditions. So there's a real mixture of exotic trees up in Hanma. So they've got Atlas cedar, Japanese cypress, there's giant firs, Douglas firs, Lawson cypress and Pinus radiata. Mind you, there's Pinus radiata, which I think is Monterey pine. I think that's what they call it up in, in the Northern Hemisphere. Well, that's all across New Zealand. It was introduced in the 1850s, I guess, and it makes up about 90% of our planted forests which are used for logging. So why do I feel so good around these trees? You know, you're running your hands over this rugged bark and staring up at these giant trunks, looking up through the branches, at the cones, the needles, the leaves, and these arms that hold the bird life and the lichens and mosses and they're sucking in all the CO2 and producing oxygen, creating energy for themselves. So these majestic trees sheltering the up-and-coming offspring that's on the floor of the forest. And I'm standing here feeling small, calm and very happy. And I was thinking the Japanese really have it right because they have... Shinrin-yoku. Shinrin means forest and yoku means bathe. And this practice is about spending time in the forest, devoid of technology, no phones for your Instagram shots, no activities, so hop off the bikes, and a slow pace, so no need to exercise or to run. Instead, this is about opening the five senses so that you can take everything about the forest around you in. Touch, taste, sight, 
sound, smell. So let's look at the olfactory, the sense of smell. I wanted to understand this more because don't you find that the thing that hits you first as you tread along the forest path is that beautiful smell? So there's a Dr. Quinn Lee, and he's a forest medicine expert, and he actually looks at the science behind how trees improve wellness by emitting essential oils into the environment. So that beautiful smell that conifers have, that cedars, oaks, pines, even tea tree, well, this smell is phytoncides. And these are the tree's essential oils. They're volatile organic compounds, antimicrobial, and they're there to help defend the plant from bacteria, fungi, and insects. And they are a gift to us humans. These compounds are widely used in holistic medicine. So you'll find them in aromatherapy, and they help support the immune system. Of course, I'm here in New Zealand, and Ranga Māori is the traditional Māori healing system. This ancient law passed down, and one of the plants used is the native manuka, which is a tea tree. And it's used in externally and internally. And I know that they use it for colds and skin issues, digestive issues, also for wound healing. And it possesses antiviral and antibacterial qualities. And it's a plant that grows a lot in New Zealand in the lowlands and then right the way up into the subalpine region. Now, if you get a chance, uh, this is just a little aside and a tip, and you get your hands on some New Zealand manuka honey, go for a pot with a really high UMF factor. UMF is the rating for manuka's signature compounds, and it measures the MGO, which is methylglyoxal, and it's also importantly measures the authenticity. Look for a rating of above 10 to receive the real therapeutic potency of the honey. Anyway, back to the forest and our phytoncides. How do these essential oils support the human immune system? Well, there were these really amazing studies carried out in Japan in 2005 where they took this group of healthy humans, well, called subjects, into the forest. And these were the Japanese forests, which were made up of Japanese cedar, Japanese beech and Japanese oak. And they took blood samples before, during and after. And they carefully monitored these subjects. The bit of the research that really struck me was up to 30 days after the forest trip, they had higher lymphocytes. These are NK, natural killers. These humans had both an increase in the number of NK cells and an increase in the activity of the cells. Lymphocytes were given the name natural killers as it's reported that these cells kill tumour or virus-infected cells in the human body through the release of various anti-cancer proteins. When they sent these trial subjects off to the city... It was a different story. There was no increase in the NK cells. So they directly related the forest 
to the increase. Oh, look, I'll add a link to the article because it was published in the US National Library of Medicine National Institute of Health. Along with the increase in NK cells, you know, we often read about these things like forest bathing and we kind of dismiss it as sort of a bit woo-woo, but there's actually all this really interesting scientific research that's done. What I want to stress is there is science behind these positive effects that the individual tree species in the forest have on us. And it comes as no surprise to many of you, you know, you all feel good in nature. Agreed? Yeah, well, you know, we feel good. So why is it that we humans crowd ourselves into cities and spend so very little time in nature? I want to read something to you from the Journal of Exposure Science and Environmental Epidemiology. I have actually got like the biggest words in this podcast, but um, bear with me. <laughs> to give you a bit of context, it's about NHAPS, which is the National Human Activity Pattern Survey, which was a two-year national probability telephone survey across contiguous states conducted by the University of Maryland Survey Research Centre. And it was supported by the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. So anyway, look, this is what they say. NHAPS respondents reported spending an average of 87% of their time in enclosed buildings and about 6% of their time in enclosed vehicles. And then it goes on to say that these proportions are fairly constant across the various regions of the US and Canada. 87% plus 6%, 93% inside. 93%, that means we're hardly spending any time in nature. And yet nature can heal us, heal us and offer us these extraordinary benefits. So at this point, you're probably thinking, yeah, 93%, Alex, but, you know, look, it's kind of COVID times, we're all stuck inside because I'm taping this recording in August 2020 and some of us are limited. So what if I told you the survey was done in the mid-1990s, 25 years ago? 25 years ago. Do you think we are spending more time now or less in nature It's bound to be less. COVID aside, it is bound to be less. There were no Netflix 25 years ago. And let's face it, we were still on dial-up internet speeds. Uh, There wasn't the proliferation of the internet. What can we do? Well, if you've got the chance, just get out and walk daily. Walk around trees, around nature, and use your five senses. Spend time in the forest. And if you are homebound, start using some essential oils in your house and houseplants to help purify the air. I was talking before about these trees using the phytoncides, essential oils, as a defense mechanism from bacteria, fungi, insects. So there's something more I'd love to share. And for me, it is magic. And it's what's happening as we walk through that forest below our feet. Trees have social networks. Through their root systems, deep 
down there in that soil. They communicate with each other. Their aim is to check the environment and help each other thrive. So these trees act as this one organism. And when we walk across that forest floor, we're walking over this really vast network. And it's cutely named the Wood Wide Web. Across the underground pathways of this web, nutrients, sugar solutions, water are sent between the trees. And they even know that these trees can help nurse a sick tree back to life. And the amazing thing is that it's not just their own species that they help through this network. They actually help other species in the forest, other species of trees within the forest. So these trees are altruistic. And this is interesting as, you know, we think all the time that in nature, we have that kind of Darwinian Darwin theory that, you know, it's survival of the fittest. But this really is a clear example of where this is not the case. Trees are working together for the greater good of the whole network of the community. I had to ask myself, like, just how are these trees communicating? And it's mycorrhizal, mycorrhizal fungi. When walking through the forest, you might see the reproductive organs of this. So above ground, you'll be seeing sort of fungi, toadstools, mushrooms and stuff like that. But then underneath the ground is this network of threads called mycelium. And the amazing thing is that this mycelium can go for hundreds of kilometres. Now, the mycorrhizal can't create its own carbon because it doesn't photosynthesise. So it needs trees to provide it with carbon. And on the other hand, it provides the tree with a network and delivery system like the web for trees. Ectomycorrhizal fungi bonds to the root system of the tree, growing their roots in a mutually beneficial relationship. And endomycorrhizal penetrates actually into the cells within the roots. Gains access to the atmospheric carbon through the tree, and the fungi receive sugar from the tree, and the tree gains access to the water and the nutrients. In small interspaces, the tree roots are usually too large for. And the fungi associates with multiple trees and creates this network of accessible water and nutrients that the trees send down and other trees can tap into. There is a little bit of a dark side to this web, a little bit like a human web. And there are things like orchids, which are hackers, and they actually hack into the system, hack into this web and pull off nutrients. It's kind of interesting. And then I think that there's also a couple of trees which basically are blimmin' survivalists and competitive and send toxins. So I think there's like a, a walnut, a type of walnut that actually can send a toxin down into this so that it competes with other trees. But on the whole, on the whole, this is an altruistic system. It is a system to give and receive. 
Susan Simard is a professor of forest ecology at the Department of Forest and Conservation Sciences, working at Forestry University of British Columbia in Canada. And she runs a research program on forest ecology and complexity science. Her research is based on understanding the vital relationship between plants, microbes, soil, carbon, nutrients and water. And one of the areas that she's best known for, and like do watch her TED talk, it is great, I'll try and put a link to that. So one of the areas she's known for is these below ground networks, and she talks about that in the TED talk. These networks that connect the creatures of the forest and how they're fundamental to the complex adaptive nature of ecosystems. One part of the research her team are working on, which I thought was fascinating, is looking at the salmon that come up through the streams into the forest and spawn. Then they die and they leave their marine-derived nutrients. So part of their research is that they are looking at how the mycorrhizal fungi of the trees and plants are taking up these nutrients and transferring them like quite considerable distances from the stream. And this is the sort of research that has never been done before. And how interesting. The research facility also looks into how trees send defense signals to each other. So recent work that they've been doing demonstrates that the defense signals can travel through the ectomycorrhizal network. And it's been tested between pine and Douglas firs. These trees are actually sending a chemical signal through their roots to warn neighbouring trees to raise their defences. Within the forest, there are certain trees that, due to size, age, resilience, gene pool, act as the mother trees or the hub tree. And these are like a, a main node within the forest. And it's been shown that these mother trees, they colonise their kin. And they help other trees through their network. And they can favour favor their children. So if moisture levels were, say, low, they could send some of their own resources through the network to the, these young saplings. Pretty cool, eh? So how do these researchers know about these mother trees? Well, once they have actually worked out which ones identified them, which one is the mother tree, they can actually inject it with a stable isotope. And then they test the other trees and saplings around. And that's how they're finding out about the communication that's happening. So when mother trees die, they send their wisdom to their children. Be mind-blowing. So they dump their resources down into this incredible wood-wide web network. See, think about this. These prominent trees that hold vast knowledge, they can send nutrients, water to their children, the new saplings which are growing nearby in clearings, and then they also can recognise their prodigy. They provide information for their prodigy and other trees, other species, and the way these trees talk increases the resilience of the whole community. What 
do we do? We humans create man-made forests for logging. Man-made forests clear entire areas of mature trees. But what would happen if you left the hub trees, the mother trees, these protectors of the knowledge? Surely the future trees planted would benefit. The other thing to consider is making sure that our forests have diversity. So we should look carefully at these one-species forests because Dr. Susan Summer talks about how these simplified forests lack complexity. And because of this, it's harder to defend against fire, beetles, pests and disease. What does Professor Susan Simmer recommend we do? Four simple solutions. Number one, you need to get out in the forest. She wants us to re-establish our local involvement in forests. Number two, save our old world forest. So there is repository of genes and mother trees and micro networks within these old world forests. Number three, when we cut, save the mother trees. And four, we need to regenerate our forests with diversity. And this lets mother nature use her intelligence to self-heal. She also says, remember trees aren't competing with each other. They are super cooperators. So can we reframe humans as super cooperators? And what would happen if we took that identity on for ourselves? We have these beautiful, majestic, towering trees holding knowledge, sharing resources, and not just to their own species, sharing the phytoncides, these essential oils that we inhale as we walk through the forest, the trees increase our natural killer cells, which in turn can kill tumour or virus-infected cells. These trees use their web for good with warning systems and distribution of resources to their community. And each tree we look at in the forest, it is an individual. It has its own identity. It retains its own nuances, its own shape, form, its colour, smell, texture. And in the perfect forest world, they coexist with each other and they are greater as a whole. They fight off adversity. They set examples for their young. They protect and nourish them. So why can't we be super cooperators? And doesn't it just make you wonder what else trees have to teach us? My heartfelt thanks for listening all the way to the end of this Flowerhood podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe to the show, like and review it on your favourite player. Be part of the greater Flowerhood community. Join the Flowerhood Facebook group and find show notes and information at flowerhood.com. I can't wait to share the next episode. Until then, hey, why not stop and smell the roses?